in the backwoods of America. We have climbed the highest mountains, searched the densest forest, dragged the swamps, and scoured the prairies to find our leader, retired U.S. Marine gunny, Bud Cornwell. Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Gunny, and you're on the Patriot Cause. I have a absolutely wonderful guest today. The reason behind that is because he's a Marine, like us. And anytime a Marine accomplishes stuff and does something to change the world, here they are. And Dan is doing that. And we're going to get deeper into understanding what he's talking about. He's a patriot of America. That's the best way that I can explain it. Uh, You know, all of us kind of live our lives, we go through this process of, you know, doing what we do. But on the back end, the government is pressing us. They're continually pressing us to comply with things that are completely outside of the Constitution. And Dan is doing what he can with his education to help us understand what is that impact. So I'm going to introduce Dan to you. And this is who Dan is. Dan completed four years of active duty in the Marine Corps. After completing his commitment to the Marine Corps, Dan enrolled in St. Peter's University and completed both a undergraduate and a graduate school with concentration on international business and economics. So we're talking about, like myself, an individual that grew up 
didn't go into college at first, joined the Marine Corps, got those leadership values within his heart. And when he came out, he's using those leadership values that the, the Marine Corps presented to him to progress his life. So Dan has wore many hats and has a device or diverse background, but not focusing his business on advanced or now focusing his business on advanced tax planning techniques and strategy with his core value being. It's your moral and patriotic duty to pay as little taxes as possible. Now, I'm going to tell you from a normal, everyday citizen, you're saying it's my duty not to pay taxes or little taxes. So we're going to talk about how, how do we do that? What is this conceptual idea that you have to help us especially in this economy, to not pay these taxes. Welcome again, Dan, to the show. I appreciate you having me. All right, so what did you do in the Marine Corps? Let's start uh, there. Yeah, well, I, uh, I enlisted shortly after high school. I um, Right, you know, I graduated from high school by the you know skin of my teeth, um, and uh, I was working at a bar and you know changing oil on cars during the day, working at a bar at night, uh, not really doing much with my life. And then uh, I had a good buddy of mine that joined the Marine Corps, and this was a guy that was, you know, not not in the best shape, not to. Uh, you know, not someone that you would kind of look up to. And he came back from uh, when, when he came back from boot camp, he was kind of someone that people admired. And I always had this inkling to that I wanted to do something bigger than myself. So he was an inspiration to me. And so I, and I was tired of not doing anything, you know, not that, uh, you know, working at a bar, uh, you know, at, or as a mechanic is uh, something that it, it, that I would look down on, but just wasn't happy with what I was doing. So I joined the Corps. And that was in 2006. I joined as a, as a infantry, just standard 03 contract. Uh, and then I became a machine gunner and uh, did uh, spend my whole time with 2-6, 2nd Battalion, 6th Marine Regiment, you know, the Ready Battalion. Uh, did a deployment to Iraq in 2007 to Fallujah. And then 2008 and 2009, uh, I was with the 26th Mew and uh, we bounced all over all over the place primarily sure. primarily the middle east obviously but you know got to go to uh, israel train with uh, some co some allied forces saudi arabia we chased uh, pirates off the coast of somalia um and uh then uh my contract was up and was on the fence there of what what am i going to do with my life and the career planner you know, actually spoke to me and he said, oh, you know, we have a we have this MESEP program where you can uh, go to school yep. and, yep. you know, we're going to pay for your school. And then you come back and, you know, you can become an officer and 
I was like, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. And then uh, the more I thought about it, then I asked him, I said, well, don't I, don't I get to go to school for free anyways? Like, don't I have the GI Bill? And he's like, well, yeah, yeah. And uh, decided to go that route and got out and um, then started my own business and uh, decided that that wasn't the route for me, you know, that I don't want to work for the government anymore as much as I love the core. And uh, oh, yeah, I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. How about not working for the government? I was a chief information officer for the VA hospital in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And after 14 months, I walked off the job. Yeah. No, no pension, nothing. You know, it's it. it, This was 2014. This is how bad it got. And I'm with you. I, I understand that. So let's talk about your business. Uh, what do you do uh, in your business? So we work primarily with, uh, I'd say probably about 80% of the work that we do is with other businesses. We work with businesses that uh, generally are doing 10 million or more in revenue or and or have 50 or more employees. Um, and we work in a, a variety of aspects. Um, we do a lot with uh, payroll taxes, help employees recapture some of the money they're sending the IRS so that they can apply that towards better benefits for them and their family. That helps the business also because the business is, tends to be matching a lot of these taxes. Uh, we do a lot in captive insurance. Uh, captive insurance is where we'll look at uh, we'll, we'll look at you know how much is uh, a company paying in insurance premiums. How much are they paying in claims? So, for example, we had a client that was spending over a million dollars in insurance premiums. We looked at their claims for the past five years, and they had three hundred thousand dollars in claims. And we said, well, you know, it makes a lot of sense for us to actually just help you create your own insurance company, and then you self-insure, because in insurance, generally, it's you know, it's like uh, it, 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 it's like playing against the house, right? The the house always wins. So. Uh, we're able to help them set it up so that they're the house now. And then on the individual side, we do a lot in capital gains uh, taxes. So we do a lot of capital gains mitigation and elimination. Um, You know, we'll look at uh, certain strategies um, where uh, we can eliminate up to 99% of capital gains tax. And these are some of the same strategies that you hear, you know, Um, I forget who the former CEO of Twitter was. It's now X, but uh, he put this, yep. you know, this uh, whole plat, uh, whatever article or, you know, was advertising how he was giving so much to charity, this, that, and the other thing. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, technically he will be at some point, but the reality is what he was doing was he had eliminated all the capital gains tax on his stock in that company at, on top of giving himself some other tax breaks. And yeah, eventually the charity is going to see some sort of benefit from it. But, um, you know, he he left out the, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions in capital gains tax that he eliminated. Right. Because nobody wants to say that. You know, it's, and we take some of those strategies that people assume are just strictly for the uber wealthy. And they're not there. These strategies can be used by, uh, you know, the the smaller the smaller guy, the little guy out there. It's just you got to find a person that's willing to do it for you. And that's right. and and that's what we do. I mean, that doesn't mean that we don't work with people who you would call are uber wealthy, but we work with people who are uber wealthy. We work with business owners and we work with people that, you know, a lot of younger people in the crypto space. Um, 
and a lot of businesses that are uh, really being uh, hammered down through their insurance premiums and whether it's healthcare, liability, um, and also being hammered down on by the government, right? So uh, our, our entire tax system, especially that W-2 system, was actually designed. And the uh, Milton Friedman, who some people have called the father of income tax withholding, you know, one of his last interviews, he said that once you put this system in place, it would be too difficult to get rid of because it's too useful to the people in power. And that yeah. system is designed, it's designed to ensure that the government gets the tax dollars that your employees owe. And then when you file your tax return, you're appealing to the government that, oh, I overpaid in taxes. You know, over 90% of Americans that are W-2'd end up getting a tax return. It's not a gift from Uncle Sam. That's the return of their overpayment in tax. It's an interest-free loan that they gave to the government. But a lot of times it's, it's uh, used in a way that's, oh, you know, this is, a, this is our way of helping you out. Like, no, you helped the government out. You know, if, if uh, the IRS owes you money, you don't get that money back with interest. But if you owe the IRS money, you can guarantee that they're charging you interest. No, absolutely. And what my wife and I have done for probably the last 10 or 12 years is um, we owe money to the government every year. And there's a reason behind that is because I want to use our money first before I have to yeah. give it back to the government. And many millions of people in this country that do not understand that yeah they well, they yeah they don't have the capacity to understand that if your w2 your w4 you know how you arrange that to make sure which most of us did in the past, that the government is covered during that year. So at the end, you get a refund, right? And they're all like, oh, I got a refund. But see, the issue is the money that you're being drawn from your paycheck is being used by the government instead of you using it to enhance your ability uh, to feed your 401k, uh, feed saving plan, those kind of things. Yeah. Well, so the time when people say, that. well, yeah, when, when they say to me, oh, wh why do you have to owe all these taxes? Because I'm in control. Yeah. Not the IRS. Yeah. Well, in the time you, by the time that most people, it's uh, it's about 70-ish percent or so of the uh, workforce in the U.S. that's W-2'd. By the time they get their money back from the government in that form of that tax return, it's lost value, right? When you yep. when you account for inflation, right? So $100 today Absolutely. is going to be worth, depending on what inflation is going to be, you know, $97 next year or at the current rate, you know, at the current rate of inflation. Yeah, like, like 50. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, thing, you know, that's the, the issue is, is uh, people have this mindset, I don't want to owe the government money. So they yeah. insure 
that they uh, pay attention to these rules, uh, how the tax codes are set, and make sure that at the end of the year they get a refund. But what they yeah. don't realize is the government is actually using those tax dollars, right, to what I call retax you. What I mean by that is they're using those tax dollars to increase the budget of the government because you provided them to do that. I yeah. mean, it's all part of it's all part of that, you know, understanding that the government has full control of your economic life. And until you get out of that process, it's very difficult for anyone uh to to live if if you're a person like me and let's say you make 50 grand a year and you use the same strategies to where I'm not going to give my government money until I have to then you have a better chance to fight the economy that is happening with you instead of being suppressed by the government tax drawing and the economy. So you got a choice. You can do both or you can just face the economy. Yeah, well, and there's a, a lot of people. I mean, one of the tools that the government uses, specifically the IRS, is they use that fear. Uh, they tend, you know, people tend to have a huge fear of the IRS and, um, I'll tell you that the level of competency uh, that you see at an organization like that is not nearly what people might expect. Um, and uh, the strategies that they use to scare people are just downright immoral. And if you saw another organization doing it, uh, you'd say that it might, be, might even be predatory. One of the things that the IRS does, the, first and foremost, the IRS doesn't create tax law, right? The IRS uh, enforces tax law enforces and flex it. taxes. Yep. Yeah. Or, or they at least attempt to. And uh, a common thing that you'll see the IRS do is they'll release, you know, we see this all the time in our business where they say, oh, well, I came across this memorandum to, to whatever, you know, insert some long number. This, uh, this, this, I, this memorandum here is, it's very alarming and very scary. Well, memorandum that's just a memo right it's just an irs memo and all of those memorandums you know using quotes here memorandums they clearly state right under the subject line not to be used or cited as precedent which means this is worthless but the irs will release these memos that are intended to be used for internal use and they use it to scare people for to scare people, primarily businesses or people looking for these uh, tax advantageous strategies from utilizing those strategies. When the strategies themselves are fully, they're, they're compliant, there's, you know, you, you can use them, but the IRS doesn't like it. So they use a scare tactic where they, it's not illegal, but they try to make people think that taking advantage of the tax code is illegal, right? And you, you should take full advantage of the tax code as much as you can, but you know, to use some strategy like that to say, well, 
you know, this, this is compliant because we're saying right here, you can't use or cite this as precedent, but we're going to make you think that this is the precedent, right? And more times than I'd say probably more times than not, when you go back, like you'll see a lot of those memorandums that they post on the website. If you go back the following year, a lot of them get removed because they're, the IRS is just full of it, you know, and using a strategy like that. I mean, that's, I would say it's completely immoral to tell somebody you can't do this when you in fact can, or to lead people to the idea that you can't do this when you in fact can. And those strategies are always aimed at, you know, they're not aimed at the Zuckerbergs of the world, right? They're aimed at the guys like you and me, you know, or, or your employees. Yeah. It's all part of the, the strategy of uh, power government, you know, yeah. it's, it's a milk you to no end. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, it's not just the income tax when people look at it, like pe- people will sometimes say that we have, uh, we have, a, a you know, our tax system, like it's, uh, it's set up in, you know, it's progressive, right? But when we, income tax is one thing. But on top of your income already being taxed, in most states, every dollar that you're spending is taxed as well. There's excise taxes, right, on gas, alcohol, tobacco, other products. There's import-export taxes. Um, there's, if you live in a state like I do, we have, I live in New York, some of the tolls, the toll for, I believe, the Verrazano Bridge is $20. You know, and now they just created, and it was, it blew my mind that how proud, um, uh, Kathy Hochul was that they implemented what they're calling commuter pricing, where it's just another toll, <laughs> and they were proud to implement this. And you know these these tolls they're being they're affecting taxi cab drivers, uh, tradespeople that you know have to drive their truck to work with all their tools. You know it's not affecting the people that live in Manhattan in their high rise and are taking the subway. It's affecting yeah. the people that need their vehicle to go to work because people don't want to drive in Manhattan, right? <laughs> Nobody yep. wants to do that. They're only doing it if they have to, for the most part. Um, and they were proud of it. And that's tolls are just, all that is, is a travel tax. It's just, they'll call it a fee or a toll, you know? And then you look at even some of the um, government sponsored entities that we have, the MTA, so that's the mass transit authority. Um, the a, a train ticket like if you get a monthly train pass to go from long island into manhattan it's, it's as much as a car payment right and again that's a travel tax yeah. yeah so and this is a this is a government sponsored entity which is the worst type of entity right because it's technically private but it's sponsored by the government so what that means for us as taxpayers well when times are good those they get a reap in the profits when times are bad they get to saddle their losses on the back of the taxpayer well, it's all it's all part of the plan of government controlling everything that happens. And yeah. I lived in Virginia, Fredericksburg, Virginia, for years. I took the train for two hours to Crystal City from Fredericksburg. You know, paid the fees and all that stuff to get there. But what I found out is that train system is subsidized by the government. Yeah. And the the fees that we're actually paying is 
part of the profit of that organization. Yeah, absolutely. Because the government has cleared all the expenses, all of the maintenance costs, all that stuff. So now, you know, paying these prices is part of putting pockets money into this organization. And that's not how America was designed. What it was designed is your money was paying for the services that you received. And that's how we need to go back to the fact that, you know, if you're going to use the bridge, right, in Manhattan, whatever, and then you need to understand that the payment of the bridge that you're doing is unnecessary because the bridge has already been built. It's already been paid for. But yet you're still paying a price to go across that bridge. Now, it's very simple, Dan. I live in Alabama. We have zero toll roads. None. Why? Because the state, the income tax of the state has paid for that for all citizens. Yeah. And I agree with that. If you, if you don't, you know, think that people don't use Interstate 59 or whatever, you're wrong. All citizens travel. And this idea that, you know, I can toll people that travel on that road and and charge them the fee to cross a bridge, the bridge is already paid for. Yeah. Well, the reason they're doing yeah. this, it, it, the reason they do this in these liberal cities is again paying for individuals in charge of these corporations or entities per se that are involved in the government to suck the money into their pockets yeah with theoretically toll toll roads and bridges um really it used to just you just have to have, it used to just be bridges or tunnels that had a toll on them because they were designed they were sold in a way that okay well we're gonna create the toll it's created through something called a revenue bond right where they're initially using that bond from investors to build it and then the revenue from those tolls pays off those investors over time so theoretically tolls should go down Right, because after well, those yeah. investors have been paid back, then the toll should go down, but they never do. Right. No. And most it most roads. Go up. Yeah. Most roads are funded through the gas tax. Right. And that's something that makes perfect sense. You drive a lot, you buy more gas. That's how you fund that's you know, that's that's the I would say the instance of what you would call a fair tax, right? Because the more you're using it, the more you're paying. But um, really, toll roads should be, you know, 
this they were doing this in Texas. I don't know if they still are. And that's, you know, that's that's where I hail from. Right. I was born and raised in Texas. Toll roads in Texas. Yeah, they have toll roads in Texas. Yeah. Yes. But but the toll roads in Texas are a luxury. Right. So uh, the toll roads are built along a lot of times alongside of uh, the regular yep. roads and you pay the toll yep. to have less traffic, to have a nicer road, to be able to, you know, travel with less congestion and potentially at a higher speed. And that's what it should be. All right. You want this luxury. Yeah. You pay the toll as a luxury because you're doing it for the convenience of yourself. And really, I mean, toll roads and bridges, like they could easily be private fund, privately funded, right? Like the fact that we have the Cuomo bridge or the Verrazano bridge, like we name these bridges after politicians that should be the sprint bridge or the Verizon bridge or something along those lines. Right. I mean, the, you know, Verizon or Sprint or these, these organizations, they'll spend, you know, half a billion dollars on a stadium that gets used 30 weekends out of the year. You think that they wouldn't fund a, a bridge that has a million people driving over it every day? They absolutely would. And that could be, that, that would be a way that you're not saddling this onto the taxpayer. You're instead using private industry to fund it. So let's talk about, um, your your knowledge of investment you know what can we do talk about all these things that are presenting to us you know gold uh crypty crypto funding all that stuff where are we headed in america when it relates to uh for instance most of us have lost thousands, if not millions of dollars in our 401ks because of, you know, what's going on. Where do we go? How, how can we recover or even have a ability to, you know, come up even again, right? Yeah, well, I'm always a fan of tangible assets um for example real estate um i've actually uh i've, I've used the va loan is actually a phenomenal benefit that veterans yep, get absolutely it, absolutely but veterans are uh, taught very little about it um the va loan can be used to purchase up to a four family home with no down payment my wife and i have yep. done this we we own a couple investment yep. properties now done it multiple times <laughs> yeah and um it's a tangible asset, right? The reality is, is you can't make more land. You can build up. Um, I mean, you, you know, you can kind of build out, but uh, it's been done before, but it's a tangible asset. Um, I also look at something like real estate. I, I think assets that are going to grow in value, but also create an income are much better than, you know, an asset that, you know, 401ks are set up in a way that, all right, yeah, you get a little bit of a tax break now, but you pay the tax on the back end. And you're going to be you're going to pay a lot more in taxes that way than you are with something where you're, you know, paying the tax up front. Right. So if you're the average person will put, let's say, fifty thousand dollars, maybe one hundred thousand dollars into their 401k, but it grows to half a million, a million plus. Well, all right. You didn't pay tax on that. You didn't pay tax on that hundred thousand. But guess what you're going to be paying tax on the million. Um and it's also set up in a way that you can't touch that money until you've it, it's being set aside for 30 years 
yep. you know, depending yep. on how old the person is. So I'm a big fan of tangible assets like real estate because one, it grows in value, but also it generates me an income today. It's also a, a, a great buffer for inflation because during inflationary periods, it's good to being a debtor is a good thing. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you own a piece of real estate, let's say you own a, a rental property and your mortgage on that is $1,000, and I'm using real base numbers here, but let's say your mortgage on that's $1,000 a month, but you're renting it out for $1,500 a month. So you have a $500 profit every month um, or $500 of positive cash flow. Well, when inflation goes up, rent's going to go up. Right. So, property. Yeah. Yep. so that rent goes up to 1600, but now your mortgage is still a thousand dollars a month. So yep. your margin has increased and you haven't done anything. So in that case, you're a debtor. So being a debtor in a high inflation market is generally a good thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I bought a house here where I'm at in 2019 and I paid Two hundred ninety-five thousand for it. Twenty-three acres, beautiful. You know the view is amazing on the Appalachian Mountains. Today, it's almost a half million dollars. Yeah, four years. I mean, think about that. This this is exactly what we're talking about. When uh, even though my four hundred one k has dropped drastically. You know, it's it's just because of uh, how that stuff works. Um, and many people think that that I talk to, oh, you know, the stock market 